companies. And then also, how did you get into wholesaling? Start with one. Oh, okay. Number one. Can Can you hear me? There, there won't be a speaker. Oh, there won't be a speaker. Yeah. Okay. Speak to that. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Hey guys, I'm uh, Juan Bustos. Obviously, I'm with Hilco Homes, right? Um, and I I got here mainly by following a sales career. Um, I did a lot of door to door and stuff like that. Uh, at one point, maybe about three and a half years ago or so, I, uh, I was living in Laredo and I uh, actually went homeless. I ran out of leads to work. My company didn't want to give me any more leads. So I couldn't, uh, I couldn't make any more money. I ended up moving here to San Antonio and uh, I kind of fell into wholesaling by accident, to be honest with you. Um, I was looking for a sales gig, ended up finding an acquisitions gig at a different investment firm uh, where I met Marco. And uh, after I got fired from there, because I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I uh, I reached out to Marco and we just kind of he just kind of taught me more and we just kind of kept going and I've been wholesaling ever since. He was pretty annoying. He wouldn't let leave me alone. I'm still pretty annoying, by <laughs> the way. That's true. Yeah, I'm still That's pretty true. annoying. So I have this persistence thing where I don't leave you alone until I get the answer that I want. So so project yourself. Project yourself. All right, project great. myself. Kind All right. What's going on, everybody? My name is Quentin Flores. Uh, I'm the owner of Q Home Solutions. I have my own acquisitions team here in San Antonio. I got a couple of other companies as well. We have a construction team as well as a lending company as well for you guys that need money for your flips. Now, typically, uh, when, when I first got involved with real estate, it was sometime late 2012. I just got out of prison. I was selling pot. That would have been my first business. You know, I loved it. I was very good at it. And when I figured out that I was good at selling people and having them lend me things, all I had to figure out how to do was how to switch my product. So rather than continuing that, going down that path, I decided to start the real estate business by meeting an agent in Dallas. And uh, this agent took me on a path that I never thought ever existed, man. And I've been in this game about five years already, and it's been nothing but a blessing. I love it. It's been allowed for me to have more time, build a team, bless the people that meet with me, and to be able to provide for my family in a way that I never thought. And I get to be on a panel like this talking to you guys about how y'all can change your lives. Maybe you had a similar background. You know, there's really no excuse, man. It's 2018, social media is alive and well. And if you can figure out how to uh, portray your image and shoot it out there, man, the opportunities for people to meet you are endless. So uh, that's pretty much who I am, and I'm here to talk to you guys about real estate. How'd you get into wholesaling? Oh, well, it was in 2012, I went to a, uh, a music festival in Dallas called Lights All Night. I was real big into raving. <laughs> so yeah, you'd be very surprised, right? But I mean, uh, I met an agent there. He's a good friend of mine. His name's Garrett. And he had asked me to come in and I started out at a company called Lifestyles Unlimited, where I learned the power of investing in real estate for a uh, long-term gain versus wholesaling. So I educated myself on the idea of money and how you can make it work for you, not the other way around. And I implemented what I learned in the cash flow business to creating my wholesaling business. But it all started there. It all started there. I never, I didn't never thought in my wildest dreams I'd get here, man. But it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I'll tell you that. <laughs> awesome. Hey guys, I'm Mincy Diane. I own Swissell Properties. Um, we're locally um, here in San Antonio, but we are expanding all over Texas and um, in certain parts of the nation currently. Hopefully we'll, we'll be taking over the world, but we haven't gotten there yet. Um, and uh, I got started, I actually wholesaled my first property when I was 22. It was by accident. Um, it was a piece of 
uh, land. It was right across from the lake, and I didn't understand why nobody was buying it. It had the septic. Everything was already hooked up. Even had a two-story shed in the back. I was like, this is really cool. And they only wanted $1,500 for it, and everybody was acting like it, there was something wrong with it. And I was like, there's nothing wrong with this. So I went ahead and bought it, cleaned it up, and then two days later, I sold it for $4,500 very easily. And I was like, why was that stupid? I had like everybody telling me, this is so stupid, Mitzi. Why would you do something so stupid? And I was like, if this is stupid, I'm down. Um, so I, but I did get scared because I had a lot of naysayers and I listened to a lot of them. They were like, you're just lucky. Don't ever do that again. And so I didn't for a while. I actually started flipping cars. So, um, I bought cars and I'd resell them. So I was wholesaling cars actually. And then, uh, I uh, and I was a financial advisor and then I went into um, I started doing yoga and became an Ayurvedic wellness counselor and I was doing one-on-one -on -one consultations with people and I was like you know I want to help a whole bunch of people this isn't like helping one at a time I'm not going to get to help out the millions I really want to help out and so I was started reading thinking grow rich again one day and that's whenever I was like why don't I go back to real estate and uh, just see how it goes so that was like a, I don't know what day, like a Sunday. And by that Tuesday, I went to a Victor Moss um, thing and then I signed up for his mentorship. And then 23 days after his mentorship, I had my first deal. And um, then I was hooked. It was a really nice assignment fee. And then I did a second one, same amount. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm so rich, <laughs> I can do this. And that you don't make that kind of money on each assignment fee, but I was lucky to make it on two of them. And um, so then I just, I just did it, started doing it full time. And that was about two years ago when I, when I did that. And I just hit the ground running and still learning, lots to learn in this business. So this group of people has flipped a lot of things other than houses, but uh, yeah, <laughs> contracts, but it made their way. I actually started when I was nine on the bus flipping gum. <laughs> but <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right, Kenneth. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Kenneth Godley, and um, as um, Marco said earlier, I'm with Hillco Homes, and uh, that's who uh, I partner with when it comes to wholesaling. Uh, but uh, my uh, fiance and I, we also have our own um, real estate investment company, and uh, the name of it is Neste Real Estate Investments. Uh, so be ready, because uh, everything that I'm learning from these guys and all you guys, uh, we're going to use it, and uh, we're going to make some things happen in this world. Um, I'm, I guess I can't, I fell in the wholesaling, I don't want to say by accident, but I'm a little bit uh, older, I guess that's the word I'll use. Uh, and so I'm actually like, kind of like looking uh, to position myself to where it's time for me to shut it down. It's time for me to get somewhere and sit on the beach, uh, and, but the cash register is still ringing, if that makes any <laughs> sense. Um, we did go to uh, uh, Fortune Builders, uh, and uh, we went and spent all that money. Uh, and uh, I'm not gonna say I wouldn't do it again, but knowing what I know now, I don't, I don't know if I would. I actually, uh, we actually bought our first uh, flip, we bought our first property from uh, Marco and Juan 
I mean, who got close with? Was it which was was it Juan? It was my property. He was annoying then. Surprised too. I didn't scare you <laughs> off. Yeah, he, he was annoying then too. Called me every day. I only get good deals, <laughs> Kenneth. Come on now. But anyway, with that, but with that first, uh, with that first deal, um, we were okay with what with the estimated ARV was. Uh, we came in under budget on the rehab, and we actually sold it for more than what the uh, uh, what the rehab was. Uh, so that was my first experience. Um, on to our next property. And I remember one of the things that I like about dealing with Marco is that he's always been available to um, share whatever information, knowledge, answer any questions you have. And we had a conversation one day about me joining the team. Uh, and I kind of ignored him because I was like busy with my own investments. Um, and then we had the conversation again. Uh, and so I made the decision, or we made the decision, uh, to partner up when doing uh, wholesaling. He tried to make me beg, is really what it was. <laughs> I need to figure out how to beg him to pay more. No, <laughs> no but uh, and me personally, every time I called him and had a question or concern or problem, because one of the things, one of the things that you, that I've run into is that. You know, he didn't like try to take advantage. I was upfront with him. Hey, man, I'm new at this. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing, and so on and so forth. You know, and and he pretty much, you know, I mean, he provided a lot of guidance along the way, whether he knows it or not. You know, and so uh, my my decision to join the Hillco Homes team was more about he probably has forgotten more about real estate than I'll ever know. And so I'm a lifelong learner. Uh, you know, and so I'm constantly looking, uh, you know, to learn new things, uh, meet new people, um, and just, I mean, it, it does nothing but help me grow as a person, professionally and personally. Yeah, so that's kind of, you know, how I got uh, involved in wholesaling and uh, with, uh, uh, with, with my esteemed colleague to my left here, um, I think we're going to do some big things here uh, down the road. Uh, we, are, uh, we are moving and growing and, and I've met uh, several of you along the way, and and I mean we're all just gonna we're all gonna make it happen together. So. Awesome. Well, you totally sold Hillco Homes. I <laughs> must I must say uh, though I love them socks, man. Killing you got the so good <laughs> sock game. My socks are all boring over here. I need to I need to up my sock game. Hey, you gotta have your sock game going. Yeah, right. I actually chose to wear, wear boring socks today. Whatever. Yeah, I have. Right. I was gonna wear my Santa Claus. Pumping iron socks. Sure, sure. Don't don't try and bring it up now. I was hoping I'm no one would see my feet. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> okay, so uh, um, you know, I know a good amount of you in the room. Not everybody, and I'm I'm looking forward to meeting all of you. I know there are some experienced people in the room. There's people that have done it for kind of middle ground, a little bit, a few deals here and there, and there's some people on the newer side. What I would like to do is kind of go backwards in time a little bit and talk about those early days, um, trying to do that first deal. Um, can Mitsuyori kind of told your story, but can we kind of talk about y each person's first deal and some of the things that worked and maybe didn't work um, to eventually finally get that check at the end of the day? You want to start? Sure, so, um, so yeah, so I, I remember my first deal like it was three years ago. Well, it was three years ago. <laughs> so, no, I, re I remember, um, you know, I, I got hired at that investment firm. 
uh, and I actually ended up getting fired before I could actually even do a deal, to be honest with you. Uh, I guess uh, I'm not really sure what happened. Uh, but then I reached out to Marco and, um, uh, you know, I, I asked him to start teaching me. And I remember I had to I had to do something to stay afloat, right? Because, like I said, I had only been here in San Antonio for about six months. And uh, I had to do, I had to work to stay afloat. And I remember my schedule was like waking up at four in the morning, four th I'm sorry, 4.30 in the morning to get to my, you know, regular job. My I was working at a call center as tech support. Um, to get there at six in the morning to work all day and i remember i only had 30 minutes for lunch and I, I wouldn't even eat because on my lunch i was making phone calls i was cold calling people right so i'd run and i'd cold call people for 30 minutes on my lunch leave voicemails because most people don't answer right leave voicemails send text messages for all of 30 minutes while i'm scarfing down my little sandwich or my little my little sopita right my little uh, my little ramen noodles or whatever <laughs> right so i was i was do, i was do, i would do that and then i'd get out of work and i'd go to the nearest starbucks or the nearest uh, library because I couldn't afford internet at the time, right? I had a laptop, a beat up laptop that my sister lent me, um, and uh, I, I couldn't afford internet, so I'd go there and I'd, I'd work all day until Starbucks closed or until they kicked me out or whichever came first, right? And then I, you know, I'd go home 10, 11 o'clock at night and write, you know, draft up offers until like one in the morning, wake up the next day and do it all over. I did this for about like six months before no i'm sorry it was about four months before i got a lead that might have worked and i was super excited actually marco was gonna buy it right he was guiding me he's like hey i think i can buy this one and i was like super excited i was like yeah with my fifteen hundred dollars i'm gonna i'm gonna buy a new pair of shoes i'm gonna get internet i'm gonna <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna actually buy coffee when i go to starbucks this time right so and then like a week later marco's like hey there was some uh there was some uh, probate issues we're not gonna be able to close on this one Boom, that crashed. So again, back to the grind, right? Hustling, grinding, uh, working every day, that same schedule until a couple months later, I, um, I, I went to a networking event. I, I met another wholesaler and everybody always asks me, what's the best way to get started in wholesaling, right? What, how do I generate leads? How do I do this? The way I say, is because it was my experience, is to find somebody who's already doing it, right? And either ask them advice, like I latched onto Marco, or find somebody who's got a deal and piggyback off their deal, right? I already had a buyer's list because I knew Marco, right? Um, and I latched onto this other wholesaler who had a deal. And we didn't make a lot. I think I think in total, we made like two or $3,000 and then I split it with Marco because you know we, we ended up finding a buyer for it. Um, but what I did was I, I latched onto, I, I, I found the wholesaler, I went to go look at it, I showed the property maybe like eight times. Um, and then I met another wholesaler who reached out to me about the property and he wholesaled it to somebody uh, for his fee to somebody in Austin, right? And it's so funny because it, we only made three grand and I was so happy with it. And then I found out that the other wholesaler ended up making like 15 grand on it, right? So I was like, whatever, you know, it's not, you know, my fault for not knowing that buyer, right? It's inexperience, uh, you know, and I wasn't mad at him. Like he got it sold, he got it sold, right? If you can sell it at 20 grand more, not, not my deal. Um, but yeah, some of the struggles were, you know, running on three hours of sleep every day, maybe four if it was a Sunday, right? Um, you know, having to having to stay having to stay afloat, pay your bills, you know, eat eat your food, going. You know, I had we had like at the call center, we had like little 15 minute breaks. I would make phone calls then too, just utilizing every single spare minute of my free time to try and get these deals. And um, I was so happy when I got my first deal. Like I was just like. Like, cause I would always see people talking about, oh yeah, I closed this deal, made three grand. Close that deal, made five grand. I'm like, man, is there like, 
Is there like a secret that I'm not getting? Like, is there like a magic pill? Like, is there some sort of vitamin I'm supposed to be doing? Like, like what what what's going on? Why are these people closing deals and I'm not? And the reality was, I just just needed to grind it out. And once you get that first one, you start rolling and rolling and rolling. And uh, I I Quentin mentioned it earlier, but I literally cried when I when I got that first one because like I said, it wasn't a big fee, but you know it 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 got me it got me to prove concept and 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 it, it gave me just enough to where i could survive for another month and get another deal and 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 quit my tech support job so i could get five hours of sleep instead of three so uh um that's that's basically how my first deal went down piggybacking was what it was found another guy who who had a deal and made the connection with another buyer so and took you about six months took me yeah it took me about six months to find that lead and I was working Craigslist, Zillow, going to networking events, and um, just just doing the best that I could to 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 find that to to generate leads. And it's hard at first, but you know if you keep at it, you'll 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 get it. And I think ultimately that's one of the most important things right there is that there is like a, a growth factor that happens right when you figure out what your calling is. And sometimes it's different for some people, right? I remember when I got my house raided by the DEA. I always thought that that was gonna be it. Okay, I'm gonna be this person. When I get out, I have to figure out how the hell I'm gonna make all that money back. Because uh, half of that product wasn't mine. So I had people that I had to pay off and other guys that were on payroll. And it wasn't until 2013 I spent what money that they didn't find paying off everybody. I had probably $7,000 to my name. And I spent 5,000 bucks on a mentorship for Lifestyles Unlimited. And this was when I had started, right? And it was a race against time because in 2013 to 2014, I spent a year, well, I had two years of parole. So I had to figure out how the hell I was gonna prove to my then probation officer that I was employed and how the hell I was gonna figure out how to make money at the same time. You know, at the end, at the beginning of everything, I, I was in a network marketing business and I learned how to talk slick, how to run game, how to convince people to join my company. Now, if I could figure out how to do that, I could figure out how to get somebody to sign a contract, right? So I had to figure out what the product was and how I was going to change it. And there's this thing that happens that lights your fire, and I found out that I was going to be a father. And this was in 2015 going into 2016. And I had to figure out how the hell I was going to start this wholesaling thing. For a year, I sat in the back of this class learning how to retire myself through real estate investing. And uh, the thing about buy and hold is you're not buying to make a huge chunk of change up front. You're actually trying to replace your income. So if I know that I have to provide three to $4,000 on a cash flow basis, income coming in on a monthly basis, every single month, to be able to cover my expenses, feed my family, and make sure that I'm okay and that I have some play money as well, then I have to figure out how to way, a way to grab that many rental properties or invest into that many apartment complexes to bring that money in. You learn about this in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is a book that I had read while I was in jail. But that really lit my fire. I knew then I had to figure out what the hell I was going to do. I was approached by a gentleman named Chris and he had told me like, hey man, how come you haven't bought in your first rental property? And I told him like, well shit man, I'm not in my 40s and I don't have this giant 401k from being a doctor my whole life. And he was like, Quentin, you don't need money to get into real estate. And I was like, then what am I doing here? You know what I mean? Like, let's go figure out what we can do then. So he told me about wholesaling and we started getting into the groove of things. And uh, it took me nine months of being mentored by this guy to find my own house. 
And when I found my first one, it was a two-month process to close, and it was a buy-and-hold that I had sold to the company that I was working with. This had been the first time I ever made real money in my whole life. Only like job I ever had was at Jack in the Box and like maybe two months at Taco Cabana. That was it. And other than that, I'd just been selling pot my whole life. And my father taught me how to do it when I was 14. So it was all I knew is how to figure out a way to make these ends meet. So once it was all said and done, and I finally closed that first deal, it was three months before my son was going to be born. And I remember holding that check, and I remember crying, man, because it was everything that I ever wanted. And it was literally a, like, 90% deal. So the thing about Lifestyles Unlimited, again, they're not trying to buy to like make a huge profit or capture 40 or 50 percent equity you know what I mean for them as long as there's cash flow that's what matters so I sold that deal I put it on contract for 89 and I wholesaled it for 96 and I split that fee with my then partner well we still work together but you know we we uh we have our own things going on after that was all said and done and I made that first check, my lady stopped trying to pester me about getting a job and I, she told me like, now I believe you and I believe in what you're doing. And then my son was born and when I held my son in my arms for the first time, I knew exactly what I needed to do to make my life better. And uh, it was a trial and tribulation from jumping from one company to the next, thinking that I couldn't do it on my own, figuring it out. And then once I got fired from the last company that I was working with, I realized that I had unlimited potential if I can make one deal happen and I can make another deal happen working with a company where it was a 20k spread I was actually working with my partner Angel over here <laughs> well, we don't work together anymore but still you know it's cool that he's with the, the Hillco team and it was a $20,000 spread I figured man I could do this on my own and so I went balls deep into it man <laughs> sorry <laughs> but like literally I, I what money I had you know, what money I had, I went and I invested into marketing and creating my brand. I started learning and studying social media to a point towards where I could create this system where I wasn't just doing one deal a month, I was doing double digits and now triple digits. I put my first triple digit contract on a house yesterday in a huge development area. And it was actually Mitzi that gave me that inspiration because she just popped a triple digit one. <laughs> Maybe she'll talk about it, I don't know. <laughs> but you know, it, it's just one of those things, right? Where you figure out what the beast is and then you erase what fear you have and you confront it and you hit it running, man, I'm telling you. This game ain't any different than what I used to do. Before, I was just trying to figure out how I could get enough product to feed this supply of people that I wanted to buy, that, that were wanting to buy from me. And I was the guy. And now I just had to figure out how I could be that guy and in real estate. If I could make something successful like that happen with the, what past I have and how I grew up, I could do the same shit in real estate. And not only that, I could tell people about what I do. I, could literally, I can't go outside and scream, I'm a drug dealer! <laughs> now, how many people are gonna really take me serious, right? But I can run outside and yell out that I buy houses. And I might get somebody's ear, and they might wanna talk to me. And next thing you know, I got a deal on contract, guys. But that's how it all started right there, was that $3,100. It was 3100 bucks. And it was my son that was about to be born, and that's what carried me through. And once it was real, my lady started believing in me. Once she started believing in me, you know, my family never thought I was going to make anything of myself. They always told me, like, hey, you know, you should get a job and get a career. Get a 401k, get something going for yourself, you know. And this has been the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. And I'm nobody special, man. I mean, look, look where I came from, right? If anybody, if, if, if anybody really wants something in their lives, you just have to figure out how the hell you're going to get it. And ain't nothing in this world's going to stop you when you got heart. For me, what woke me up was having my child. That's when I knew I needed to do something amazing. Now, that might be a different message to some of you guys. Maybe a child didn't do it for you. Maybe it's something different, something. But when you find it, 
you take it and then you run with it guys and that'll be your niche and I guarantee you everybody has a calling one day put it in God's hands and he'll take you wherever you're trying to go you just have to have faith and when the faith happens that's when real growth happens right there surrendering and just giving it to God I agree with Quentin <laughs> yeah so um, I told you all about the, the lake lot and everything and then my first deal with Victor Moss and um, well not it, it, actually I, I found that on my own and everything but it was um, uh, I actually I've told you all about the deal I think most of y'all know about that first deal with the Merpoline and everything I had $331,000 lien on it had to figure things out and I ended up getting the house for $3,000 and was able to flip it for fifty-five, and um, so it was a pretty good first that first wholesale deal. Yeah, you know it's funny because <laughs> I was so ignorant. Uh, all I knew was uh, property research, and I was so ignorant. I was like, I just knew get the house as cheap as you could. So I offered fifteen hundred for it <laughs> originally, and then when I doubled it to three thousand, I was like, look, I doubled the price. You know, <laughs> I was like totally serious, and I and somehow I talked them into it, <laughs> thinking that I, that was a pretty good deal. And um, but there was more to it on that because there was a lien on it, and I was helping them with certain things. But um, when it comes to getting your first deal because my second deal it took me six months to get that one and I figured out what the problem was between why do some people get a deal faster than other people and it isn't because somebody is more able than the other person it's focus and also believing you really can do it if you have any belief that you don't think you can do it you're going to sabotage yourself the entire way by making sure you can't do it um, but you got to believe it and you have to have that focus and I'm not saying these people, uh, you guys weren't focused, not at all. Sometimes we just don't know what to focus on. And so, um, so their focus, there was like, let's get the leads, let's get the leads, let's work all these leads, let's get the pipeline going. And, it, and I'm not sure if there was more to it, but um, what I noticed is if you can figure out, like if you look at the leads and you notice a, um, a pattern, uh, my mind, I have this mind that just starts noticing patterns very quickly. And so I started noticing certain things like right away. And I noticed if I do this and that, then this will happen. And, um, and I know KPI and all that does that too, but I wasn't paying attention to all that. Um, and I noticed if I went after certain leads and I did a certain routine and had a certain belief, some certain faith, that I got my deals way faster. And then whenever I just got cocky, because I did after the first deal, I was like, I'm rich, you know. And so I was going to say something else, but this is, <laughs> well, you know, Dave Chappelle. Yeah. So Quentin's balls deep and Mitzi's rich bitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I, I was. Yeah. So I got a little cocky at first, and uh, I didn't try. Like I took a break. I didn't work on my leads and get my pipeline. Didn't keep it going. And so it took me six months for the next one because I was all over the place. I was like. Oh, I can do that again, and uh, and I um, 
I took away all the focus that I had originally. And then whenever I realized, well, what am I doing? I'm going to go broke doing this. Um, I humbled myself and started again, like focusing and doing everything I knew I needed to do. And again, I got a deal. And actually, it only took me a week. The day that I d finally decided to focus took me a week to get another deal like that one. And, uh, and every time I focus, just another good deal. And, and so I think it's not just about like mindset of believing that you can, but it's also making sure you're staying focused. If you're working pre-foreclosures, um, pre-pre-foreclosures, code violations, fire list, uh, jail list, all of these lists all at once, and you're one person, and you're noticing everyone else is buying up those properties before you get to it, it's because your focus is all over the place. You need to like pick a list, uh, focus on like 25, and then really pick the top five to really hound, and then the rest, keep your pipeline going, but constantly going. Don't just focus on 25 and you don't keep that pipeline going. Because like uh, Juan said, your first deal may fall through. Uh, actually, you're going to have deals that are going to fall through. You're going to be like, oh, gosh, this is going to be an amazing payday. And it's going to fall through. And you're, you're, if you had all, everything on that, you're going to get really devastated. And I've seen people quit the business over a big loss. And really, it wasn't even a loss. It wasn't even something that had manifested completely yet. It was just something that you were just hoping for. And if that's all it takes to quit this business, you've got to have more heart than that. You've got to be hungrier than that. And you know when I know when somebody's hungry, because some people say stay thirsty or stay hungry or whatever. Um, I, I don't know the stay thirsty thing. I'm going to figure out. I'm going to talk to Quentin about I'm all that. I'm hydrated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, There's a, a podcast, Alex Charfin. He mentions that it's called a state. Actually, I think that's the name of his website, State Thirsty. Stay thirsty or stay hydrated or something like that. Water is essential. Yeah, water is essential. Because I drink a lot of water. Yeah. You'll, so you'll understand one day. Yeah. 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 Drink <laughs> I drink lots of water, so maybe that's it. <laughs> but um, when people say, oh, no, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, and then you give them a lead to put under contract, it's like if you tell a, hung a hungry person, here's a burger, and you give them a burger, are they going to eat it or are they going to stare at it and ask you a lot of questions about it? I mean, I, I want, if you want to show me you're hungry, eat the freaking burger I give you when I give you a burger. Don't tell me, oh, well, why is there cheese on this? You know, no, you eat it. And, you know, and then let's, and I understand, you want to ask questions, you want to understand what you're doing, but I see people <laughs> paralyze themselves because they're analyzing everything instead of just eating the freaking burger. Yeah, if you've got a lead, go after it, talk to the people, see if they're interested in selling, and get it under contract. Oh, you don't know if it's the right price to get under contract? Still get it under contract. You may mess up the first few times. It's okay. You're going to figure out so much along the way by doing it, not by talking about it. So focus. Know you can have it. Believe that every day. Repeat that in the mirror if you have to. Two years ago, I was repeating that in the mirror. And about two months ago, I was repeating in the mirror, I'm going to have a $100,000 deal. And with two months, I got a little bit more than that. So it was, it was pretty nice. So I think that believing it, the law of attraction is something I'm really big into. Um, having that energy, being that magnet for things to come to you and believing that it will come to you and receiving it. And then also setting yourself up through the actions. And I think when you believe it, you ask, actually set yourself up for it. Either you believe something good or bad. So. Awesome. Oh, sorry. I ain't got nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, my first uh, wholesale deal, um, it, um, I remember when I finally got it, and, and just to kind of like piggyback on uh, what a lot of these guys have been saying, 
I mean, I, I had so many times I'd get to the door, I'd get to the front door, I'd get in the door, you know, uh, and I think everything was, you know, going smoothly, hey, we're gonna close, yada yada, so on and so forth, only to like have that door slammed in the face, the roof cave in, uh, in, in the case of uh, 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 another uh, guy who used to work here, the house burned down. Uh, I mean, just all kind of things that uh, two days before closing. Yeah, two days before, day before closing. Oh, was it one day? One day before closing. The house burnt down. So. Uh, yeah, so I mean, just all kind of yeah. things, you know, get in the way of um, that first deal coming through. Uh, you know, but, uh, uh, but man, just, you know, just continuing to just, you know, press on and then just like, I don't know, man, I think the biggest thing for me is to not get emotionally uh, tied to any of this stuff. You know, if this one doesn't work out, next. You know, um, but what worked for me really was just focus. You know, so what I mean by that, when I first came to Hilco Homes, I had a lot of things going on. I was in school full time. Um, I had, I still have a couple other businesses that I run. Uh, I was uh, getting uh, my credentials for coaching. Um, I had a whole lot of stuff on my plate, and it really was just too much, uh, to be honest with you. And so my results were indicative of the effort or the time that I was able to devote to wholesaling. Once the semester ended, which by the way, I made the Dean's List, uh, and I've never not made the Dean's List since I've been in college. But anyway, um, and, and yeah. <laughs> it's okay to toot my own horn. You gotta be a little bit, you gotta be a little bit like that to be in this business. <laughs> Otherwise, all of those no's you get beat down by. So <laughs> it's kind of all of our makeup. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, so, so once I was able to like focus on wholesaling and everything that that entailed, uh, I saw results almost immediately. Uh, my first wholesale deal actually came from a Facebook lead. It was through somebody I went to, I've been knowing since I was in middle school. They had a property that they wanted to sell. Uh, they, well, actually, they didn't know what to do oh, with yeah. it. Um, and after some uh, discussion, they decided that they go ahead and sell. We contracted it and, uh, you know, and sold it. Now, there were a lot of steps uh, to go through that. We had to get all types of affidavits of airships uh, because we had deceased family members. And none of the people who were heirs to the property live in San Antonio. Yeah, and uh, so it took a lot of you know moving around, uh, coordinating with people. Now, to the seller's credit, everything that I asked them for, they were able to provide it. You know, and and so and that was just kind of how uh, that that first deal worked. Um, you know, I think one of the questions was what worked for you and what didn't work. I can't think of anything that didn't work because I came in with the mindset of learning everything that I could learn about it. And so anything that was presented to me, I just went after it. You know, like Mitzi was talking about earlier, people asking questions, trying to analyze stuff. You know, one of the things that Juan said to me uh, during my training was that you ask questions to understand, not to analyze or look for a reason not to do something. You know, it's crazy to me to, to, to walk into an operating room thinking that I know how to perform major surgery and I, don't, and I never even graduated high school. And it's kind of the same thing in this game here. You know, it, it, you, sure, we, we all know a lot and we all bring what we bring to the table, 
Uh, but what's best for me is surrounding myself with people who know more than I do and then taking in and absorbing what it is that they're, they're people will give you information. If you talk to them long enough, one of the things that uh, I, know, I learned about people is that they like to talk. They like to tell you about themselves. They like to tell you what they know. You know? And it's the same thing here. You know? And so all I got to do is just put the cotton in my mouth and take it out of my ears and I'll learn a lot. And I'll try any and everything as long as it's not illegal or immoral. And, it, and, and if some, you know, something doesn't work, this time. Because it had to work for somebody before. So it may not work this time, but at least I've got something in my bag that I can use at a later date. You know? So I don't know if there's anything that, di that doesn't work. What I do know is that everything that I learn, everything that I see, uh, every experience, I use it uh, you know, for, for later. You know? And so, I, like I said, I don't know of anything that doesn't work at this point. All right, so we talked about the first deal, right? Now, what I would really like to talk about, and we don't have to go formally like down the line, just jump in whenever you want to, um, is what was your hardest deal? And how did you overcome to get to the finish line? That's probably, the hardest deals are the ones where you're learning the most. Uh, not, about the, not just about the business, but quite honestly about yourself and uh, what you've got inside. So let's talk about that. I think that the first so, one that I ever did. Mitzi handed it over to you, like, all his deals are hard over there. I, I have so many, it's not even funny. Quentin's guys. got that look in his eyes where he's like, yeah, I got something. I got like five of those. I've done literally everything from buying meth labs, houses that had meth labs in them, to running out squatters. And I've, I mean, I've, I've done a house that had 11 people that were illegal from Mexico here, where I actually had to call uh, the people to come over. And I mean, you know, it is what it is, but they had to, you know they were in the way of the house. <laughs> Anyways, for the most part, guys, you know, it, it's all good, you know, it's all good. But I mean, for the most part, I think one of the hardest ones I ever did, and this is one where there was a, there was probably about 26 dead people attached to it. And I had to find heirs on heirs on heirs. I'll never forget it. The address was 2117 Virginia Boulevard. I had this thing on contract at 20, and it was an older woman who had owned it. Her name was Mrs. Cleo. She has been the oldest OG on the block. This is on the east side. Everybody knew Miss Cleo, I'm telling you. Could she and fortune tell to where the heirs <laughs> were located? <laughs> yeah. or? The neighbors would come out and they would greet me. I was invited to barbecues that I had never been invited to before. And I was so welcomed. You know, I just, I'm glad they didn't ask me to bring a dish. Anyways, this is the deal that I'm going to talk about because uh, we just closed this one and this is by far probably my hardest deal that I ever did. So I had this thing on contract at 20 and it's in between Dignity Hill and Denver Heights. The ARV of this, which is the after repair value, was I think 280 grand. So there was a spread in profit here. Now the house had been run down. The lady who had owned it was an heir of an heir. They've owned that house since like the late 1800s. Mrs. Cleo was 83 years old. And I'm telling you, everybody on the block knew Mrs. Cleo. Everybody come out all the time, hey, you buying Mrs. Cleo's house? I was like, hell yeah, I am. What's going on, you know? And we would like just instantly become friends. And next thing you know, the whole community is involved. And I got them like cheerleading me every single time I find an heir. Like, oh my God, Quinn, you're going to buy this house. Hey, yo, Quinn's almost close to buying this house. And everybody's like <laughs> rooting for me, you know? And like every time I walk out of this house, it's the most welcoming thing ever. Mrs. Cleo would cook the best soul food I've ever tasted in my whole life. 
And I'd grown rapport with this lady for the longest time. I had to find, I think, eight living heirs, and a lot of them were out in Louisiana. Some of them were in Memphis, Tennessee. And I finally tracked them down. I hired a private detective to be able to do it. However, Mrs. Cleo had just gone under some type of procedure where they were saying that she wasn't sound of mind to sell the house. So I had to go through different doctors and different psychologi uh, psychologists to check her psyche to make sure that she was aware of what she's selling her house for. I had never gone through that process with a deal before where I actually had to med medic medicinally and psychologically prove that somebody was sound of mind to sell their house. And Miss Cleo would tell me stories all the time. This lady was not not there you know what I mean she would tell me she used to date sailors the reason that she knows how to cook good is because she used to go all over the world and uh, next thing you know we find her long-lost son that she never even re like remembered or knew she had she gave him up for adoption but he had an interest his name is Alvin Rankin and he was uh, stationed in uh, I think he was stationed in Iraq he was overseas I closed this deal three months ago and it's still my biggest deal to date and I made eighty thousand dollars off of this house and uh, once I finally got all the heirs together and we, we put everybody together, we signed. I shit you not, these people had a red carpet out for the house and everything. And the whole block celebrated me buying Mrs. Cleo's house. And the whole reason that she wanted to sell her house anyway is because she had a daughter that was passing away of cancer in Florida. And she wanted to get to her daughter. But Mrs. Cleo was a hip, hip lady. And I love telling her story because everybody that I meet, man, I mean, during the times when all the segregation and stuff was happening, it was deep in the South. You know what I mean? So all of the black community on the east side were buying houses together because they didn't want the white folks to come in and take it. I'm not trying to be racist or anything, guys, just so y'all know. Uh, but just a little history lesson. A lot of just a little history were lesson. buying houses together. So Mrs. Cleo was one of a few people that owned her house. And the reason they would band together was so that this community couldn't come in and take what they had already had. And this was like 1930s, 1950s stuff that was going on during this time in San Antonio. And she had lived through all of it, man. I love history in homes, and I feel like with every house, there's a story to tell. From the meth labs that I've bought inside of houses to the Mrs. Cleo, 83-year-old 80, lady. You know, uh, it, it's awesome because with every house that you flip, you learn a little bit more about yourself and what you can apply to your business and how you can reach out to the community better. You know, I don't think that there's any house that I can't take on now after I've closed deals like this. It's just being able to put the pieces together to figure it out and to get the deal done. And that was just one, man. That meth lab that I'm telling you guys about, there was no way I was going to get the sale of that home going, being that there was like 50 dead people attached to it. There's actually a pretty cool route that you can buy a house under that can swipe the slate clean. And this is a golden nugget for you guys, but it's called adverse possession. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of this before, but what that is is basically going in and paying the taxes on a property and then claiming ownership of it. It's going to be three years. You're going to have to put the house public so that if somebody comes in and tries to take the home, then you have to fight them in court. Of course, if they try to sue you and say, oh, I'm an heir to this house, well, where's your proof that you ever paid a dime for this house? By going in and having the leverage of paying X amount of money in the taxes, you put yourself in a position to own the home. This is a three-year to five-year play, and you have to own the house outright, and it has to be vacant for this long you to be able to win a house over adverse possession. If you do it this way, it swipes the slate clean. And that was the other biggest deal that I ever did. It's hard to find a buyer that buys this way, but they're out there. If they don't buy this way and you have the capital, buy this way. Because there's too many houses in Dignity that are like this, where there's a lot that's owned by 20 or 15 dead people. Any historic district, it's like this. If you can go onto that property, pay some taxes, and 
build a structure, you can literally have legal obligation to swipe the slate clean on that house and own it. And that will be your chain and title on the property. Adverse possession, guys. It's a real thing. Okay. Wow. Even I learned something new. <laughs> I didn't know about that. That's great. Right on, man. I got to talk to you more about that. Let me know, dude. I got you. Yeah. Any deal that you got like that. Anybody who has deals like that, I'll buy them all day, by the way. The worse of the title issues, the better for me. <laughs> we will talk after this meeting. Okay, cool. <laughs> so how do you even top that, right? Like, that's, that's crazy, right? He went through a lot of stuff, uh, gave a little history lesson, Whoa. gave a golden nugget, right? Mrs. Cleo. Um, Mrs. Cleo, she sounds, <laughs> she sounds like she was a lot of fun. <laughs> so she's in Florida now? Yeah, she's in Florida. She right still now? calls me all the time, thanking me that I bought her house, man. She's the coolest, hippest lady I ever met in my life. I'm sorry, shoot. That's all right. No, go for it. Uh, years, years. I was the first investor to ever get it done. She'd been trying to sell that house for a long time. Can I ask how you found her? How'd she find you? Uh, yeah, she was delinquent in taxes. She owed 23000 No, she owed, I'm sorry, 10000 in taxes. We upped our offer after it was all said and done. So she walked away with more than twenty. Here's a mic. Oh, she walked away with more than 20. <laughs> That's crazy, man. That's crazy. Yeah, I... I don't even know how to top that to be honest my hardest deal probably wasn't even as difficult actually there's two of them but i'm going to tell you guys about the one that closed because one of them i'm working right now and it's it's had i'm having to build a lot of rapport having to having to go drive out to new Braunfels every few days uh to talk to these people but um the the, the hardest one that i ever actually closed was last year in woodlawn the historic district and um it started off seemingly simple right the owner was like 80 plus years old. He's a gentleman. He lived in Arlington or something like that. And uh, he had been wanting to sell it but couldn't sell it because his brother didn't want to sell it. His brother passed away. They took care of all the probate issues. And he's like, now nah, I want to get rid of it, right? So I went, I looked at it, did the ran the comps or whatever. He was asking 90. I got him down to 80. Thought it was going to be super simple. Put it out. We, bl we email blasted it. We had a lot of response right off the bat, right? Uh, we're asking we were actually asking 105 for it um, had a lot of response right off the bat maybe like two days after blasting it we had somebody you know call call us up and say hey I want this house come over we'll talk about a contract right so this buyer comes over right we're at the negotiating table I thought I did great Marco told me I sucked um, and because when he was contracting with the buyer this is when I was contracting with the buyer right and uh, you know the buyer's like, oh, let's change title companies. I want to put it over here. Uh, give me a twenty-five hundred dollar discount, which wasn't that wasn't that big of a deal because we're gonna make twenty-two-five on it anyway, right? We're gonna make twenty-five on it anyway, and then minus twenty-five hundred would have been twenty-two-five. So, you know, it wasn't a big deal. And then he's like, okay, well, um, you know, I gave him three things. I gave him the title company. I gave him a discount. And I let him extend the uh, I let him extend the closing to our original close date instead of putting it for two weeks like I should have, right? Well, you know, I thought everything was done. We drove to the bank that day, right? Like I said, thought it was going to be easy. Uh, drove to the bank that day. I picked up his deposit. We switched title companies. Um, I'm not going to name the title company, but we switched title companies. The title company ended up being like they just ended up being shit like they just didn't they they would never communicate apparently i found out later on that they're not the biggest fans of wholesalers not only that but i found out that the buyer was still angry at the fact that we we're gonna make 22 grand he's like why don't you just sell it to me for a five thousand dollar fee i said why don't you just send out mailers your damn self then <laughs> right um so he 
he was upset about that, right? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean not. I mean not screw the buyer, right? But it's like it's it's like. If, if you want those, you know, as a buyer, you know, if you're mad that I'm going to make 20 grand on it, maybe you should go out and put out bandit signs. Maybe you should go and look at these properties. Maybe you should create the email blast. Like, I do, we do a lot of work. A lot of people don't realize it, but there's a lot of work that goes into wholesaling. Not only that, but there's there's a lot of work that goes into the preparation for wholesaling. This is so, quote I like a lot, and it's from a really awesome comedian that I follow. And he says, the only time you look in your neighbor's bowl. Oh, he says, the only time you look in your neighbor's bowl is to make sure that they have enough. You don't look in your neighbor's bowl to see if you have more than them. And that's like, live your life by that. I'm telling you, business will blow up. Louis C.K., right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the guy. yeah. <laughs> that guy's pretty funny. Um, so this, so anyways, we had extended it. We had put the closing date to a certain close date. And it was supposed to be for like mid-August, right? Like mid-August of last year, actually. And like three days before closing this guy's like oh hey yeah no i'm not gonna be able to close i don't have funding yet what do you mean you don't have funding the guy that referred you to us is a hard money lender you were gonna use him so he's like well no there's nothing you can do about it i'm not gonna close on it i said so i talked to marco about it and i was like hey man let's just take his deposit and let's go like he already knew like he had more than enough time he had almost 30 days right to find funding here we are three days before closing and he's barely telling us that he doesn't have funding if he had told us two weeks ago maybe we could have helped him out marco goes no let's just give him an extension so we gave him like a 30-day extension in this 30-day extension i found out that this buyer went circumvented us and tried and started talking to our seller found the guy's information started talking to him started trying to relate with him on a you know on a personal level started trying to make us seem like the bad guys uh make it seem like we were terrible because we we're going to make 20 you know 20 plus thousand dollars off of it the seller didn't care right the seller was like i don't care i just want my like i'm 80 plus years old like if i live past next year i'll be all right you know what i mean that's what he wanted right <laughs> he was that's that's what he would tell me he's like i don't care if you guys make a hundred thousand dollars off of it by selling it to somebody else he goes i just want my money i want to be done with it i can't drive over here for four plus hours every other weekend to main you know to maintain this property um so he's like just do whatever just do whatever uh, you need to do so he tra he kept consistently trying to make us look bad not only in front of the seller but in front of the title company um here comes a 30-day extension we're, we're already getting close to it come to find out he's like oh hey by the way um i have to get permits f uh to to rehab this property because it's in the historic district approval yeah he has to get he has to get approval for it so he had to submit his his um he had to submit his uh, rehab bid to the historic committee or whatever. He's like, well, they said it's going to take two weeks. So this is a week before the second closing, right? So we get uh, so we get another extension. Luckily, the seller is super understanding. I told him everything that was going on. Um, and we just we just kept running into wall after wall with this buyer, right? And uh, if it wasn't one thing, it was another thing. So he had to get permits. He had to go get approved. He went to a, a meeting with the historic committee. They approved certain things, but they didn't approve other things. So he had to redo the rehab bid. Said it was going to take another 30 days. I said, nope, that's enough, right? I called up the historic committee myself. I shit you not, guys. All I did was call them, tell them I was on the transaction, tell them, hey, I need to see if this is going to be approved. I don't want to have to go to this meeting. We need to get going. That day, they sent the approval letter. Like, that day, they sent it. They're like, yeah, we got it. Go ahead and uh so really quick comment so uh in this business um a lot of people especially when you're newer is very easy to um fall in line 
in the frame of thinking that everybody has their job. The title company is going to handle the title stuff. You know, the buyer in this case is going to communicate with the lender, or communicate with the historic district on their portion. That's their job. And it's really easy to get complacent and just be kind of waiting for everybody to do their job. Don't ever do that. You need to be, this is your deal. This is your contract. You need to take action on all components of the transaction as necessary. So this is a perfect example. It could have been easy for Juan just to be reaching out to the buyer over and over and over like, hey, did you get approval yet? Did you get approval yet? And defer that responsibility onto the buyer. But taking the action himself and actually calling directly to the um, historic district in this example is what you need to do. Same with title. Title's like, hey, you know, we're trying to clear title. Okay, well, what do you need? Who do you need to get in contact with? You know, you take the action, you act as the director. This is your movie and take control of every component. That is how you're going to ensure success. If you are waiting for everybody else to do it for you, a lot of deals are going to fall through. So quick side note there. Well, there goes the lesson I was going to talk about. Thanks, Marco. <laughs> Just kidding. That's why I love this guy. He's always ready to teach. Um, so anyways, so, you know, we, we got that part approved, right? So now we're ready to go, right? No. Um, he, we get to closing, right? And he starts talking about how his wife is sick, right? She has the West Nile virus. Guys, what's the West Nile virus? <laughs> like, what is that? Like, I didn't even know that. He, we're not even in Egypt, right <laughs> like how do we <laughs> how did that even happen I get right mosquitoes every day, man. yeah i'm saying man i'm good i'm good but it's because it's because we're from the hood man those mosquitoes are dangerous right so so we yeah 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 exactly so so anyway so his wife is sick and she has to sign the closing paperwork i said what she's not a part of your company he's like yeah she is she's totally a part of my company i said why didn't she sign the assignment or any of the other paperwork you know, if she actually has to be there to sign. Meanwhile, we're trying to get in contact with the title company. The title company is not updating us on anything. We're reaching out to them. I'm sending emails. Marco's sending emails. Marco's wife is sending emails. We trained Marco's daughter, two-year-old daughter, to send emails, right? They, nothing, right? Nothing. We, we couldn't get any kind of response back. But luckily, the seller, again, this is what made it a little easier, was the seller was kind enough to call me and say, hey, did you get that email? Let me forward it to you. Did you get this email? Let me forward it to you and all this stuff. And um, and it was crazy because the entire time I kept telling Marco, let's just take his deposit. Like I can get this sold for like 10 grand more. I guarantee, let's just, I mean, cause he was dragging it out. You know, I'm not trying to be, you know, I wasn't trying to be, um, I, I'm not one of those guys where I'm like, oh, you didn't close on this day. I'm gonna take your deposit and you have to put a note. If you need a couple extra days, you know, that's the way we are. We're okay with that. But it's been three months, right? It had been three months. And this guy, and he just kept dragging it out and dragging it out. Marco's like, no, let's just play the nice guy. Let's just do what we got to do. Uh, All right, so let me make a comment again. <laughs> okay, so even though, you know, everybody up here is experienced and, you know, we've seen a lot of deals, we've done a lot of deals, we've seen a lot of different situations, we all still make mistakes. This uh, transaction that he's talking about, we made mistakes, I made mistakes on it. You know, I try and uh, lean on the side of being more friendly and understanding. And I, the way I try and operate when I do business is um, I trust first. And now if you burn me, I'll remember. But um, I trust first, which, you know, not everybody does that. But I try and do that in, in an effort to 
build stronger relationships, stronger ties, especially with the buyers. The buyers are your lifeblood. They're the ones that allow you to move these contracts. So with buyers, I try and take that extra step to be understanding and be um, thoughtful of their needs. In this situation, um, he took advantage of that and it became a um, spiral component. I should have cut it off sooner in the process, which there's a lot of safeguards in your assignment, collecting the money up front, those type of things. So um, you need to always have in your head kind of contingency plans. So hey, if something doesn't go off, doesn't go according to plan, you're already two steps ahead of the buyer, the seller, whomever in that situation so that you don't get stuck in a, in a situation like we did where it was just another extension, another extension. And if you make mistakes, you're gonna make them, learn from them, try and improve, and uh, try and remember them for next time you recognize the scenario playing out again. Yeah, so Juan, that's, right, that, that's, that, that's exactly what I was gonna say. Actually, what's funny is at, at the end of this, I'm gonna tell you guys the reverse version of what he just told you guys, uh, my viewpoint of it. Um, so it's 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 uh so anyway so we get there and we're trying to communicate with the title company they're not helping out um the, bi title, the buyer right. huh title. <laughs> 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 man man quinn's over here snitching man he's snitching man i had that problem with capital title too was it no it wasn't no it wasn't it wasn't this live <laughs> you hear me capital title i'm coming for you no um no, so, so anyways, so we, at, at one point, um, the buyer, again, circumvents us, and I, I'm trying to tell the seller that, hey, we need to pull this, uh, we're going to pull this guy's deposit. The seller knows that we're wholesaling it. We're going to pull this guy's deposit. We're going to move forward. I just need you to sign. Uh, the title company was asking that the seller sign a release, which, again, isn't necessary, right, because we were assigning it to him. We could have pulled the release, but they were requiring that the seller sign it before they release title and we could move it to a different title company. Our hands were also tied because the seller had met the buyer and they had built rapport. So the seller wanted the buyer, this specific buyer to buy his house. So even when we were starting to get to the point where we were gonna cancel it with the buyer and move on, the seller didn't want us to go that route and wasn't going to extend our contract to allow that. So we were very handcuffed. Extremely, and not in a good way either, right? So, <laughs> so <laughs> to get handcuffed? Yeah, man. Yeah, there is. <laughs> Somebody laughed real hard about that one. <laughs> Anyways, so, <laughs> so we're finally getting to a point. I, 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 I build some more rapport with the seller. The seller says, you know what? If he doesn't close, if, if, if this gentleman doesn't close, I'll go ahead and grant the release and you guys can have a contract. I told him that I had some backup buyers anyway. Uh, at one point, the, the buyer ended up sending an email uh, to the title company about how I was super unprofessional because I showed up to a, the negotiating table in a Superman t-shirt. Superman's my Superman's my favorite superhero, by the way. I have Superman PJs, flip-flops, t-shirts, everything, right? Tattoos. And bed sheets. And bed sheets. And bed sheets. Um, and towels. And towels. <laughs> Underwear I too? wish. I wish. No, I wish I had bed sheets and towels. That'd be great. I even got. I even have Superman tattoos. Anyways, this guy sent an email about how unprofessional it was that I showed up to negotiations like that and all this stuff and tried to make me look bad. The seller was on that email and realized, wow, this guy's being really petty, right? So that's when he said, you know what? If he doesn't close, I'll go ahead and you know what? You guys can do whatever it is you need to do. Well, we finally close. 
right? We finally close, and after about three, maybe three and a half months of struggle and trying to get things done, we finally closed it. I call him the buyer from hell. I'm not gonna give his name because I'm, you know, we don't. I don't want to. He's like Voldemort. Yeah, yeah. We don't. We don't say his name. He who shall not be named. Uh, <laughs> but if you ask me privately, I'll let you know not to work with that guy. Um, maybe. But so we, uh, you know, it was, it was the most difficult one that I had because not only was the buyer against me, the title company, the title company was against me, the seller was against uh, against us at one point, and um, you know, it just, it just our hands were tied in so many different ways that we couldn't, you know, we, we just really couldn't budge from there. Uh, a couple of lessons that I learned from there is Marco earlier was talking about how he should have, we should have cut it off earlier or whatever, and trust, trust always. I agree to a certain extent, but the lesson that I learned is sometimes you have to be the nice guy. Because we played the nice guy, because we played the nice guy card, the seller ended up be, ended up seeing the buyer's true side and saw us as like, you know what, these guys were just trying to get their work done and, and this guy wasn't helping them out. Not only that, but he was being petty along the process. So playing the nice guy was my lesson there. Because I, I'm kind of, I, like I said, after the first extension, I would have been like, nope, let's just pull this deposit, right? That's it's not our problem, right? This is how I view problems. When problems arise and I have to choose a direction to go, there's the nice route and the fuck you route. Um, you can go the nice route <coughs> and see what can come of that. You'll be surprised what can come. Because you can go down the nice route and you, at any point going down the nice route, you can change and go to the fuck you route, okay? But you can't go down the fuck you route and then try to go to the nice route down the road. So be mindful of that. Try and be. Uh, Mitzi's got something. I do that a lot. Wait, which, <laughs> yeah, and then I go nice. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's funny. It's harder. <laughs> Sometimes it works. Off path to the fuck you path. Yeah. <laughs> so if you take it, you can go to the nice route. You could. Do it, that. it depends on how you but take it. Depends. It depends. So how do you, how do you handle that, or how do you win them back over? How do I win them back over? Mm -hmm. They know I'm serious about doing business, mm -hmm. you know? Um, like, I'll, I'll reach out a little bit later and be like, hey, so what's going on with everything? And they'll be like, oh, you. I'm like, oh, you. Oh, <laughs> you. <yeah>. Know? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and like, it's just like one of those things and just realizing we're human and talking and being like, and some of them, they'll actually come back and be like, hey, uh, I didn't realize you get stuff done, so I do want to work with you. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, you now you know my boundaries. So I think we can. Yeah, and I uh, check every uh, so often. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so, because uh, I, I didn't start my business to work with everybody. I started my business to work with who I want to. Yeah. And, um, and I'm going to enjoy my life. And anybody who gives me a whole bunch of trouble, I'm just like, all right, blacklisted. And uh, I actually have a blacklist of people that I will not do business with. I don't care if you've got a trillion dollars and say that you're going to buy every property of mine. If you're going to make it a hassle every single time, rather than buy, have anyone else buy yeah, my that, property. That, that guy's blacklisted, by the way. That guy, yeah. I will never. I, actually, no. Come on. If I'm going to make five grand, why not, right? But um, I, I will. I will. Which brings me to my next lesson. If he does try and buy from us again, which I doubt that he will. Um, I will, my next lesson is actually stick to your guns, guys. Mm -hmm. The reason that he was able to take control of this situation and do whatever he wanted, right, towards the end there with the title company and all that stuff, was because I, you know, I softened in the negotiation. I gave him the title company, right? Let him switch the title company from a title company that we know will be on our side. I gave him a discount, right? And um, 
I gave them I gave them that time to close that extra time to close, and we kept doing that. Yeah, and and if we had just stuck to our guns in the first place, hey, same title company, you know, I could have maybe given on the close date, like okay, close on our original date, but you know, if we had kept the title company, kept the price the same, you know, we would have had more control over the situation when he wanted to back out, you know, when he wanted to start pulling all the stuff that he pulled. So stick to your guns. I mean, I know sometimes the reason that I was, I gave away so, so quick was because I was actually, I actually needed some extra money for something, uh, something that came up in my life at the time. And I was like, I, yeah, I need this deal. I need this deal. So I was quick to jump on it. Right. As if, if I had stuck to my guns and kept it at the title company, it wouldn't have been at our title company and kept, you know, kept everything the way I wanted to do it. I would have had control over the situation. Like Marco says, you're the director of your movie, right? Take control of the situation. If you don't want something to happen a certain way, don't let it happen a certain way, right? There's always negotiations. There's always things you can negotiate. But if you're giving too much and not getting enough in return, it's not it's just not worth it it's just not worth it so stick to your guns make sure make sure that you don't let somebody um take advantage of you or take advantage of your situation for the sake of a you know well in my case it was like a eight or nine thousand dollar payday right but um don't don't do it for for the sake of the payday stick to your guns and it'll it'll just be easier that eight or nine thousand dollars i i think i made like nine thousand dollars over the course of three months which isn't that great where I could have made nine thousand dollars in thirty days, right? So just stick to your guns, and and you'll be you'll be you'll be all right. That's the, that's the second lesson that I learned from that. So we're getting close to the question and answer portion of it, uh, but I still wanted to go over y'all's experiences too. So just so maybe a little bit more concise about y'all's hard deals. Okay, so I, I agree with all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I hope it was and interesting. Cleo. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, but. Um, it's, yeah, I, I actually agree with, I agree with Juan, um, to stick to your guns and actually everybody who's been a difficult person. So I started in as a financial advisor and I got to deal with a lot of money and a lot of people's money. And, um, and what I learned was the ones with the smallest accounts always were the biggest pain and the ones with a lot of money were the ones who gave me free reign to make them a lot of money. And of course, I'd have advisory accounts, so I was able to trade some some things without needing everything approved. But um, there was, uh, and I learned a lot just in that business setup. So even in this business setup, you deal with a buyer with a little bit of money, they're going to be your worst buyer. <laughs> or I'm not saying your worst, they can be some good buyers, but they're gonna be the ones that are really going to um, blame you for every little mistake along the way that they didn't bother to do the due diligence for and everything like that. So what I've found is anybody who starts giving you trouble right in the beginning, I just, I'm done. Uh, I'm done with that buyer. You don't need to buy my property. Here's your non-refundable back. I got another buyer. Because if you got a deal, you got another buyer. And um, in fact, every time I've went ahead and said, don't worry about it. it is, this is not working out for you. You don't need to buy it. I'll give you your non-refundable back. I got another buyer. And I'll give them their non-refundable back. And um, I actually make more money every single time that I do that the second buyer always gives me at least $10,000 more. So I've only been rewarded every time I go for the easy route. Um, I'm not saying do that, just go for what works for you, but I've always been this nice person my whole life and being a female also, um, I don't know if any other females experience this, but you're not quite treated the same. 
and uh, and sometimes you can be talked down to and uh, just all, all sorts of things and uh, frankly I've gotten fed up with a lot of it <laughs> and so I'm at the point where I do take the whole that route before and now I'm kind until somebody else isn't kind and then I'm like look I don't need this we can we can do that and then if they're like no 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 I want to buy it okay I don't want to hear anymore you know that that's it and um, and let, let's move on um, but uh, with my my thing I think everybody has to find what works for them um, and one of my just recent deals I've had a lot of difficult deals but one named one that was pretty recent to uh, uh, similar to one I've had same thing and then Quentin Sam, uh, pretty similar deal as well so I completely understand now I never had to do the psychology stuff and all of that so that's pretty interesting uh, yeah, I was like, I'm going to have to talk to him because I didn't get that far with it. Um, but recently I did an apartment complex and um, I'd been looking into doing wholesaling apartment complexes for a little over a year. I actually had somebody in Dallas tell me it's impossible. So tell me something's impossible and guess what I'm on to the next thing. <laughs> oh, that's next on my to-do list. <laughs> and uh, so I started looking into that and I had some bird dogs and other people looking for me. We found a deal and just because you find a deal doesn't mean that you can close the deal. Um, and uh, we got the deal and uh, so I got it for 800000 and I was selling it for one2 You guys can do the math about how much money we made. Um, and uh, so we, uh, the problem with the, ho with the apartments was half of the residents was the family. So guess what that did to the income? There was like no income in these apartments. It was not one that a buyer would be like, oh, that's really attractive. Give me some of that. Because uh, it's not making money. It's losing money every month. Uh, there is a mentally challenged person and a daughter. It, the, it was the son and daughter that owned it now. And um, the mentally challenged brother needed all his money up front. The sister was wanting hers. They just wanted to get out of it. They couldn't even afford it past August 1st. And we were closing on August 15th. They didn't tell me all of this. They were trying to keep it. I was dealing with the realtor on their end. It was off market. And we were talking about it and everything, and they wouldn't tell me too much about it. And I just sat them down. I was like, look, tell me what's up. I know there's something up. Tell me what's up. And finally, over time, he revealed some more stuff and found out what was going on. I was able to negotiate from them wanting $800,000 cash, non-negotiable, to owner financing it to me. The buyers were trying to get private equity, and they realized their private equity people were saying, we're not gonna buy this. It's worth like 300,000 with the income coming in. It's not worth 800,000 or a million point two. And I was double closing on it. So uh, they were only seeing the million point two HUD statement. Well, um, what I did is I went ahead and I kept on calling the realtor, kept on figuring out what was going on. And, um, and he was pushing for us to have an August 1st closing date. Well, when people push for something and you don't understand, there's always more information to be found. And I found that even recently we've been talking That's about- That's one to write down, by the way. That's like an important point. If they're like pressuring something or pushing something for a particular reason and it doesn't make sense to you, you need to ask more questions because there's mm -hmm. an underlying reason. Especially if they- with your negotiation, by the way, if you know. Especially if there's a non-refundable deposit involved. Always make sure you know what you're getting yourself into. Um, and that, that's been a recent thing here too, but uh, 
so on this one, I went ahead and called him and was like, look, why are you guys pushing for August 1st? Our, our closing date's August 15th. And um, I called my buyer and he was like, Missy, I still haven't found the funding. I don't, I don't know. We have till the 15th, so I'll let you know if we find it. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I, I get this thing in my head.